Hello and welcome to RGU Talk, the official podcast of Robert Gordon University. I'm your host, Johnny Milne, and I'm delighted to be joined this week by a man who describes himself as RGU's own unhinged professor, professor of built environment visualisation, Richard Lang. Richard, thank you for joining me. Hi, Johnny. Nice to be here. Uh, well, it was actually a colleague of mine that, before I came to interview you today, dis- said you describe yourself as an unhinged professor. Any reason why? <laughs> I don't know if I would necessarily use the the phrase unhinged. I mean, I'm, I'm not wacky at all, but yeah, it's um, yeah. I think you need to have a certain amount of enthusiasm, but a certain amount of self deprecation goes a long way in this job. You know, that's, that's certainly how I yeah. get through life as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now you have to forgive me, but built environment visualization mm-hmm. for someone not technically gifted like myself, what exactly does that entail? Okay. Well, um, I mean, I, I I came into the job um, you know, qu- quite a number of years ago, and I suppose that um. I was initially doing work that was looking at things like building conservation and you know the you know the cost of buildings and so on and I think through a series of projects and a few experiences we kind of realized that showing people things visually either using you know computer models or or or, or various different approaches to kind of showing people things seemed to have quite an effect on what they understood but it also seemed to have a kind of positive effect on getting people to actually talk to us about things so built environment visualization we kind of explore different ways of you know kind of showing people things and expressing ideas to people but in quite a visual way and and we're here to speak about smart cities in particular which is Mm -hmm. one of your main research interests what exactly is a smart city project Okay, well, I mean, smart cities are a kind of major uh, talking point, not just in terms of research, but probably more importantly in terms of cities worldwide at the moment. Um, There's been an incredible, but probably to most people, quite invisible development of technology in terms of the amount of information that's actually collected in relation to cities. So I suppose a kind of basic, quite technical and probably not terribly um, human description of smart cities would be that you can try to use data from things like sensors and sensor technology to try to help local authorities and companies provide better services for people. I think, which is fine, but I think that um, more recently there's been more of an understanding that smart cities should really be about people. They should be about quality of life. And when we're collecting this data, we should be trying to think about can we actually use it to make people's lives a little bit nicer and a little bit more bearable? And yeah. in what kinds of ways would it improve people's lives? Okay. Uh, just a couple of examples. Well, there, there are um, a, a really good example from Aberdeen that we've seen. We're working on a project called Portis at the moment, which is a big European project. But one of the exciting things that's happened in that project, which doesn't necessarily sound terribly <laughs> exciting from the outset, is really to do with um, uh, traffic lights within the city, okay. where um, the city council have been able to use sensor technology to do things like identify if a big lorry is on the way and if it is they've got a way of now making sure that that lorry will not have to stop as it makes its way through the whole of Aberdeen now that can have really quite huge and quite kind of fundamental effects on things like air quality Mm -hmm. on things like noise pollution and things like carbon emissions from those vehicles so that's a kind of that's really what I mean by this is probably an invisible thing that if you're somebody just walking about Aberdeen you won't 
necessarily suddenly think, oh my word, these traffic lights don't seem to be ever be yeah. going to red. But there's a reason for them only changing when they actually need to. Um, I mean, other examples in Aberdeen as well. This is another example to do with transport or really mm. to do with kind of transport planning in the sense that in the last couple of years, I mean, I've been in Aberdeen for a long time where if you were taking the bus, it was a real pain. You needed to have, um, you know, like pocketfuls of change Absolutely, and so on to yeah. try to work. And you were having to scratch your head to work out how much the bus might cost when it stops. Um, but in the last couple of years, there's been developments, not just in terms of being able to pay using a credit card, mm-hmm. which to anybody listening outside of Aberdeen to this discussion may be surprised to learn that that's a reasonably new development <laughs> in Aberdeen. Yeah. <laughs> um but it's quite kind of small things like, um, you know, you, you now get live information at bus stops to tell you exactly how far away the bus is. Mm-hmm. So you're not, re- you're not relying on a timetable that was probably printed six months ago. You're relying instead on real-time information. So mm-hmm. as a passenger, it kind of makes the transport seem that it's more like a service for you rather than just being a bus service that you happen to be trying to engage with you know so i i think there those are two examples really where um what is actually quite a technological thing is trying to be applied in a way that just kind of improves the environment that we all have to live in you know and um, i mean those are things that are have happened so far Mm -hmm. are there any other sort of pie in the sky out there ideas that um, the likes of yourself have mm-hmm. for the city going forward? I mean, I think one of the things that, um, particularly within like a school of architecture and built environment that I'm working, one of the things that is starting to dawn on people is that the way that we design buildings is going to really change in the next couple of years, because this kind of technology will not be something that you kind of insert afterwards. This technology is going to be a kind of driving force behind how we design the building. So everything from how you use energy in the building to also how that then connects with the car that you have outside the building, how you can use the energy that's maybe generated by your house to actually power, you know, heating and air conditioning within the building. Things that were that maybe seemed quite kind of exploratory a couple of years ago are now becoming real. I mean, I remember... Again, it was a few years ago now, maybe three or four years ago, hearing about buildings in Canada where they were using, um, this may sound slightly um, disgusting if you can kind of not think about what's in the pipes, but kind of the heat from waste, you know, the heat that's coming from, uh, you know, uh, water that people have used to actually do the dishes or water that has been used through people showering or water that's maybe coming from uh, waste pipes and so on. That can then be transformed into heat and energy that you can use for other things within the building. And um, I think this is kind of quite exciting because it's been far too long that we've been willing to flush the toilet using drinking water and just kind of say, well, we've got energy going through our buildings, but we'll just say goodbye to it and we don't Mm. care about it. I mean, we're not really in a position anymore that we can afford to do that. So quite exciting things are going to happen in the next few years that are going to change really the way that we use our buildings. And is that, um, you give the example there from Canada, are there any other great things going on worldwide that may come into the Northeast sometime in the future? I definitely, I mean, I I think that um, the... The, f- the fact that, that most of us still get up in the morning and um, leave our homes and go somewhere else to go to work, maybe using cars that are powered using petrol or mm-hmm. diesel or whatever, this is likely to change quite fundamentally in the next few years. And although I don't personally like the idea of having to 
I don't personally always like the idea of there not being a difference between where you work and where you live, because I think that can not necessarily be good for one's mental health. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, there are going to be opportunities for us to kind of hot desk in a way that is just a little bit more creative than Mm -hmm. it maybe is at the moment. And uh, I think we can sometimes say kind of jokingly, well, when I was young, I I was told we were all going to have jetpacks by by now and I still don't have my jetpack. But I do remember when I was at school, you know, watching TV programmes like The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where somebody would have what, in with hindsight, was actually quite a large computer that would act like a book and yeah, so on. Yeah. And at the time, that just seemed, you know, like, hopelessly futuristic. And, and I think that, you know, to students coming through university now, a life without the internet and a life without that kind of just computers being everywhere and it's data being everywhere... It's kind of, I'll sometimes say to groups of students, you know, like I can remember when, you know, we got the first email computer in my department and they look at me like I'm from the dark ages, you know, because, and it wasn't that long ago, but things have really transformed in the last, certainly in the last 20 years, things have transformed and that speed of change is kind of increasing all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, does this, do you think this increased integration with technology, whether for, uh, transport we spoke mm-hmm. about earlier for buildings and so on do you see there being any risks or any negative implications we've obviously seen mm-hmm. recently people's data being harvested from facebook and i understand uh-huh. you recently deleted your own facebook yeah. account as well i mean i like the idea of uh, and i was you know one of the early adopters of facebook and you know before that friends reunited mm. and various other sites and so on i mean i would kind of come back to something i said earlier on i like the idea that we can use this technology to make people's lives better. And I, I'm very attracted to the idea that Facebook emerged from, you know, people in a dormitory wanting to share photographs with each other. But I think that's kind of different to using that data for slightly dodgy or maybe very dodgy political or industrial purposes, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, I'm quite a, a naturally paranoid person. I, I don't really like the... I don't like the idea of Facebook being a kind of... Um, just a voluntary mass surveillance system, you know, mm-hmm. where we're all just telling Facebook things. Like I could tell you, you know, you know, um, uh, on Facebook, for example, I could say I could start to tell you who I think I might vote for at the next election, or mm-hmm. or you would start to be able to kind of get ideas about my political views from yeah. either very soft things like the music I'm into, or maybe very direct things like me telling you things that I agree with or disagree with, and so on. I think that's fine as a conversation, but um. I can remember being at school, like when we read 1984 by George Orwell, and I don't, I don't remember anybody saying, "God, that sounds like a really good idea. Maybe, maybe we, we, maybe we, we should do that." But that, we're maybe not. Maybe life doesn't look quite as grim as it does in the Orwellian um, nightmare. But there are elements of that are starting to creep in, and I, I tend to think. I mean, Tim Berners Lee, you know, the inventor of the internet, mm-hmm. was was just kind of um saying this week that he still feels we can rescue things. He still feels that we don't need to be headed towards this kind of grim future. Mm-hmm. There is a possibility of us still using all of this stuff for the betterment of society and to make our lives better, you know. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where I'm at. And um, and to be honest, when I'm at conferences and I start to see people saying that they develop new technology that has just face recognition everywhere and we're tracking what everybody's walking and so on, I'm not the only one in the room who starts to feel slightly slightly shifty about these things so what I I am interested in smart cities though is to try to think about how we can try to make the best of the you know this is technology that is there Mm -hmm. 
and I, I never agree with kind of saying, well, the technology is there, let's stop doing it. But I do kind of think, you know, there are really positive things that we can do with this tech that can, yeah, hopefully allow us to kind of communicate with each, with each other better and, you know, get a better kind of engagement within society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're not quite hoping for a Blade Runner style dystopia in the next few years? I'm not necessarily hoping for that. I, I like the idea of cars that fly and I like the idea of being able to fly to work in the morning, but I, I don't think, um, yeah, we're not necessarily headed for a future of a kind of um, um, a nighttime forever where it's mm. always raining. You know? yeah. I, I think there are quite, yeah, but there's a positive future lies ahead, you know, mm. but it's going to require society to kind of work together a little bit. I think. Well, obviously, as we've mentioned, technology has changed over time, Mm -hmm. will continue to do so. What would you say the most important thing to keep in mind is when thinking about preparing cities for the future? Uh, I mean, I I would say that um, actually engaging with the people that live in the city is probably the most important thing. I mean, there have been plans to develop a new smart city just on the edge of Toronto in Canada. And I think there's been some criticism of the developers saying that they've been doing this now for a year and they've concentrated on the sensor technology. And maybe the starting point for me should normally be that you go and actually talk to people mm. and ask people, in what ways could your life be made better? You know, and, and if you can make that happen alongside the technology, then things will probably be all right. You know? Well, Richard, thank you so much for joining me today. OK, no, I'm happy to do so. OK. And that's it for another edition of RGU Talk. On behalf of the university, I've been Johnny Milne, and we'll talk to you later.